Well, good evening. I appreciate uh, once again being able to be out with you and open up the Word of God and spend some time thinking about the important things of the authority of God. Tonight we're going to be focusing on uh, ways in which God actually communicates His will to us, but I want to uh, review for just a moment what I consider to be really the pillars of biblical authority. One is that God is Creator. And again, as Creator, He has the right to tell us what to do, how to act, live, think, talk, walk, dress, you name it, He has the right to tell us. And secondly, that Christ is King. Isaiah 52 and verse 7 uh, proclaims that as part of the gospel message, the good news of peace and happiness and salvation uh, is that your God reigns. And we talked a little bit about last night about the, the kingship of Jesus and how important that is to our understanding. Third is that the Holy Spirit is the revealer of the mind of God. And uh, how exactly are we going to know the mind of God unless God tells us? As 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 13 show, uh, I can't know what you think unless you tell me. You can't know what I think unless I tell you. And likewise, we can't know what God thinks unless He somehow indicates His will to us. And uh, when we ask the question, how do we know the will of God, that's going to be an important uh, point I want to come back to. And then the fourth pillar is that mankind is simply incapable of being his own authority. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Uh, it's not in man who walks to direct his own steps, Jeremiah 10 and verse 23 says. We're not in a position to be able to be the authority in religious matters. And so we need the authority of God as we discussed last night. So again, as we think about what it means to know the will of God, I just want to remind us that when we ask that question, how do we know the will of God? God has a will, uh, and that will resides in His mind, coming back to that point uh, number three there. And uh, that will is expressed when He reveals that mind of His. His mind is revealed when we have the revelation given by the Holy Spirit. And the result of that revelation is what we know as the Word of God. And then whatever is not revealed cannot be said to be the mind of God. We talked, we're going to talk a little bit about the silence question tonight. Uh, but if God has not revealed His mind on the matter, we can't say it's the mind of God. Nor can we then say it's the Word of God because it hasn't been revealed. So we need revelation for it to be God's Word to us. If God's will is not expressed in revelation, we have no right to infringe upon that or assume His will uh, when it hasn't been given to us. So we'll, we'll come back to that. That just kind of briefly overviews uh, the point uh, that we're making. So thinking again... If we're asking several ways in which we can ask this question, how do we know what God wants? How do we know the will of God? You know, how, sometimes it's asked, how do we establish biblical authority? The same type of question, really, because, again, we're just asking how we know the mind of God, and uh, we can't know that unless He's revealed. I can't stress that enough, and uh, that's going to be, uh, I think, key to the things we're talking about uh, tonight. Um, what I want to do is, is think about really the, the form of communication that, that uh, God uses uh, to reveal Himself to us. And, and really, th this is about as basic as I know to get. I said last night, uh, I'm a building blocks kind of person. I like to go back 
cut back to the foundation and then start building up from there uh, to help us understand where we're going uh, with all of this. Uh, because this is stuff that, you know, you might listen to this and say, yeah, that, that's pretty obvious. And I hope, I hope that is the case. But I also want you to understand that there are people who complain about what uh, is often referred to as command, example, and necessary inference. And um, what I want to do is just simply talk about the way communication works. And the way this got started with me years ago, I was teaching a Bible class uh, on uh, authority, and I was using some of that terminology, command, example, necessary inference. And um, somebody raised their hand, they'd come out of a completely different background, and they just said, you know, if we're supposed to be people of the book, where do you get that terminology from? Uh, you know, and, and so that, that at that point kind of made me step back and say, let's, let's drop back to the fundamentals, the real fundamentals here, and ask the question, if you were going to communicate your will to somebody else, how would you do it? You know, what would be the process that you would go through to let somebody know this is what I think about something? And, and you may think, well, that's pretty obvious. And in reality, it is, because the first thing you might think of is the, simply the fact that we tell others what we, what we think. We tell others what we want. If, if you're going to communicate your mind to somebody else, this is the most direct way to do it. You just simply tell people what you want. And uh, that can be an order, it can be a statement, it can be any number of ways that you say something, but you're just simply telling people what you want. And the second one is uh, that we show people what we want. You know, I remember as a kid going to school, we would have show and tell. And, uh, you know, where you're, you're showing people how to do something, you're telling them how to do it as you go through the process. And, and we just understand that that's just how communication works and and I don't know really any other way to to make that happen but the third thing that's involved in this and really it's through the process of what we tell and what we show is that we imply things that we expect people to get uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, this evening as well and implications and let me just kind of explain really up front when we talk about implications Implications are what the communicator provide. I might imply as a communicator something that I want you to get. And the receiver infers from that. So when we talk about an inference, and we'll define it a little bit more later, but really what we're talking about is what the receiver does. The receiver infers from what the communicator implies. And I just want you to understand that, that that's, this is not something we're just pulling out of the hat somewhere. This is the way all communication works. Uh, there's simply no other way uh, to do that because any attempt at communication will utilize one of these things. Uh, and, and really the way that I demonstrate that is simply that um, if you disagree with me on this, that's fine, uh, but I would just ask you not to tell me about it or show me anything about it or imply anything that you expect me to get about it. And let me ask you now, can you disagree without doing one of those three things. See, what that means is, this is what we would just call self-affirming, self-evident, uh, logically speaking. And I really don't need to prove it any further because any attempt to deny it would utilize the very process you're trying to deny. 
So that's self-evident. And, and um, that's, that's what I mean when I say we're getting back to the bare bones basic stuff here about communication. Uh, but, but we do that in order so that we can build back up and understand how this process works better uh, in our efforts to understand the will of God. And, and somebody might ask, well, is this a, uh, does this come from God or from men? Well, since God gives us the ability to communicate, and since this is the way all communication works, I would argue certainly it comes from God. And this is not just some trumped up, uh, you know, Church of Christ hermeneutic or, or something along those lines. Um, in fact, uh, what we're talking about here is not an interpretation process at all as much as uh, a gathering process, an information gathering process, because I can't know how to interpret anything until I look at what's been told and shown. I've got to look at the information first. So what we're talking about here is not a method of interpretation. It's a, it's a gathering information process, and then once we gather the information, then we can begin to uh, interpret that information. We all do interpret. Now, implications and inferences particularly do involve some, some process of interpretation. But again, we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. So what I want to do is, is have you turn your Bibles to Acts, the 10th chapter. And I want to show how this is happening, how this is in action, if you will, um, uh, how this is all working together. Uh, you might recall in Acts, the 10th chapter, that uh, uh, Cornelius is a Gentile who is... Uh, wanting to know the will of God, wanting to know how to you know, serve God. And so he's, he's a devout man. He's praying. God hears his prayer. He answers by saying, I want you to send for Peter. And Peter's over here in Joppa. So Cornelius sends some men to get Peter. Now Peter, we, we move over here. Peter is in Joppa. And in verse 9, he's upon a housetop in the sixth hour about to pray. And he falls into a trance wherein he sees a vision. And I want you to notice the nature of the vision in verse 11. He saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. A voice came a second time. What God has cleansed, you no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, I want you to notice the next verse, in verse 17, that Peter is greatly perplexed about this in his mind. He's trying to figure out what in the world that vision meant. And uh, about that time, then, the men sent from Cornelius show up, and they call for Peter and Peter, it says in verse 19, Peter was reflecting on the vision. And then notice what it says. The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Now, it's pretty clear. God just told him something, right? Uh, nobody can really dispute that. I mean, God tells us things through His Word, so he, he tells Peter right here. Now, what's interesting, though, is God could have told Peter, Now, Peter, I want you to go preach to the Gentiles because they're now considered to be clean in terms of, of the ability to preach to them. 
And uh, he, he could have done that, but that's not the way God did this and worked this in this particular case. Uh, Peter went with these men. They come to the house of Cornelius. You recall Cornelius falls down to worship in front of him. Peter says, stand up, I'm a man uh, just like you are in verse 26. And uh, they found many people assembled. Now let's drop down to verse 28. And I want you to notice in particular, you yourselves, Peter says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That's why I came without raising any objection uh, when I was sent for. So I asked, for what reason have you sent for me? Now again, God could have told Peter everything. This is why they're sending for you. This is why you need to go. This is what needs to happen. He could have been very direct. He could have given him a checklist if he wanted to. But that's not the way God chose to do this. And so Peter finally, remember, he had been perplexed in his mind about this vision. What does this vision mean? What are we talking about here? And uh, then God gives him the instructions to go, and he goes, and Peter's figuring all this out. And so finally, he puts the pieces of the puzzle together, and he says, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Now, if you would right here, go back to that vision for just a moment in uh, verses you know, 11 and following, and I want you to look in there and see if you can find where there are any men in this vision. There are no men in this vision, are there? What's in the vision are animals, unclean animals, that God says, you know, in this voice, now they're clean. But yet what Peter has done is taken that vision wherein he sees animals and he draws the conclusion from that that God was talking about men, that what the vision really meant or what the vision implied was that he should not call any man unholy or unclean. Yet Peter says God did this by showing it to him. God told him to go. He showed him a vision. He implied by that vision that this is what I want you to do. And I want you to notice then that, that this is an inference that Peter draws here. And one of the most important things that happens in the early New Testament church that is, the bringing in of the Gentiles in the preaching and teaching of the gospel, one of the most important events happens on the basis of an inference. And Peter has no problem recognizing that. God has shown me, should not call any man unholy or unclean. And, and one of the points I just want to make about this is simply that if, if God values the process then so should we. And clearly God values the process. Again, God could have told Peter everything. Check this off, check that off, go preach to the Gentiles for this reason. He could have done all that, but that's not the way he chose to do it. He chose to give Peter some instructions. He could have even told Cornelius without sending for Peter, here's what I want you to do. He could have done it that way. Any number of ways God could have done it. But God valued the process of the people using their minds and putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And so should we. That's my point. So should we.
And so sometimes people will fuss about uh, inferences or something like that. Now look, I realize that they can be abused. And if there's an abuse, deal with the abuse. Talk about the abuse. But the process needs to be valued because God values it. Otherwise, why did he use it? And we see something fairly similar in action in Acts, the 15th chapter. Um, I want you to just notice the sequence of events. Now, Acts 15 is actually discussing the same thing that happened in chapters 10 and 11, the bringing in of the Gentiles uh, there. And it is interesting that in chapter 11, when the Jews there were told about the Holy Spirit falling upon Cornelius and what happened there, they said, well, then God has granted to the Gentiles repentance at least to life. So they inferred from the information given that God intended for the Gentiles to be brought in. And the same thing happens here in Acts 15. Peter and Paul show how God worked through them to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That's verses 7 through 12. And so they're, they're sitting there explaining to the crowd, here's what God did through us, and this is what happened, and, and all of that. Uh, so they're explaining to the people, they're demonstrating uh, what God did. And then James quotes Scripture in support of that in verses 13 through 18, which I think, again, is interesting that you, you know, he goes directly to the Word of God and said, you know, this is exactly what Scripture teaches. And so you have something being discussed by what was shown. You have something being discussed by what was said. And then James infers what to do next. You notice again, after what Peter and Paul had talked about, then after what the Scripture said in verse 19, Therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, and so on. Uh, so he infers what to do based upon the information that he had from Peter and Paul and the Scriptures as a whole. And so once again, the process is valued here. And I believe one of the reasons the process is valued is because it matches the minds that God gave us. I, I, people sometimes wonder, why didn't God make it easier? <laughs> you know, why didn't He just give us a checklist of things? Wouldn't that have been easy? Do this, do this, do this. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And then, you know, we can do that and we're done. But God gave us minds. He gave us minds to reason and think things out and think things through and draw conclusions. And He gave us a word as a whole that matches the minds that He gave us. And He wants us to figure things out. Let me ask you this. How many of you like to do puzzles? You ever like to do puzzles? You know, crossword puzzles or, you know, uh, jigsaw puzzles or whatever. We like to figure things out. We like to think about things. We like to, to you know solve equations and, and that kind of thing. We like to do that. that. We have minds that are geared toward doing that. And if you think about it, this is exactly what God has given us in His Word. He's given us minds and He's given us a Word with a process that values the thinking ability of human beings. And uh, so when we reason things out, and we'll talk more about this in the second session, but when we reason things out, we're doing exactly what God uh, intended for us to do. So God values the process. Now I want to uh, switch gears then and ask, well, what happens, you know, when God is silent uh, about something? Um, again, 
we made the point at the beginning that the only way to know the mind of God is by God revealing His mind to us. So what I want us to, to think about first with silence is simply that silence is nothing. If it's true silence, then it's, it's nothing. And, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing really to, to say about that if it's true silence. But I would say that, first of all, you can't quote an author on something he never said. We can't say, again, that, that something is the mind of God or the will of God or the word of God if God never gave a word about that. So silence would be nothing. Now, someone might say, well, if silence is nothing, then, you, then, then silence doesn't condemn. And so if silence doesn't condemn, does that permit us to act? Well, my, my first answer to that is simply that if it doesn't condemn, it doesn't commend either. Uh, in other words, even if I were to, uh, to say, well, I can't condemn something based on silence alone, neither can I commend it. Neither can I say that it's okay to do that. Why? Because I don't know. That's where silence really leaves us. But let's think a little bit more about the nature of this issue because I think it, it's going to go a little deeper than just that. Uh, one of the things I think we have to distinguish between is the difference between true silence over against what is unspecified. And there is a difference uh, between those, those ideas. Um, something can be generally authorized under a category heading, if you will, and yet there not be specificity on exactly how to do that. Uh, and I like to use uh, you know, examples that you've probably heard before. I, I think they work uh, overall. But if I uh, you know, were to send my son to the store and say, I'd like you to get some bread, uh, bread is a pretty broad category. And uh, I often tell people, if my wife sends me to the store and says, get some bread, I go look at a wall of bread and I'm going, I have no idea what to get. Because you got hot dog buns and hamburger buns and whole wheat and white bread and, you know, sourdough bread and rolls and, you know, you name it. And it's all bread. And, and so you got this broad category called bread. And the reality is anything that you pick out that's bread fits that category. So if all I were to say is go get some bread and whatever bread he brings home, I can't really complain because it's bread. Now, if he brings home popsicle sticks, that's a different issue. That's not the category of bread, is it? And uh, what I'm asking for is bread. So, but, but here's a, a principle about um, our communication as a whole, you know, is that you know, not everything has to be specified in order to be authorized. And let me just add to that that general categories will lead to specific applications. But one of the principles of communication that, again, we all recognize, I think. This is not a special Bible rule. This is just the way communication works, is that the more specific we get about something, the more exclusive that becomes. So if I send my son to the store and I say, I want you to get bread, we recognize that's a broad category, but it's specific enough to know that it's not popsicle sticks I'm asking for, right? It's bread, and bread is not milk, and 
you know, it's not a pen and it's not, you know, so we know what bread is. Uh, but if I were to say, I want you to buy sourdough bread, I've gotten a little more specific, but you might look in the category of sourdough bread and still see an array of choices that you might make. And so anything that fits the category of sourdough bread. But if I were to say, I want you to buy San Luis Obispo cracked wheat sourdough bread, that's pretty specific. And it's very good bread, by the way. But it's very specific. And if he brings me, you know, Wonder Texas Toast, that's not what I asked for, is it? We understand that in the process of narrowing down the choices, that the other things really get excluded by that. We use another example. If I, you know, ask my wife when she's at the store to pick me up a writing instrument, well, that's a pretty broad category, right? Uh, but we could narrow down that category. I could say I want a pen, or I can say I want a red pen, or a red felt-tipped pen, uh, or red felt-tipped pen made by Bic, and here's the number, you know. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you can get that specific uh, if you want to, and the more specific you get, you know, she brings home a, a blue pen, I say, well, here's a writing instrument, here's a blue pen, but that's not what I'm asking for. Uh, so we understand the nature of communication works in that fashion in normal, everyday uh, circumstances, and we usually don't have to explain that, because we understand that that's the case. But, but we start with the general categories and we lead to specific uh, applications. And, um, you know, when we think about then the nature of, of that, when you have a statement that is made or uh, an instruction that is given that is general enough, uh, then typically speaking, you know that uh, whatever happens in the process of doing that thing is going to be part of that, and it's going to be authorized. And uh, uh, Grady, hand me a songbook, if you will. All right, stop. Who said stand up? Who said grab it with your hand? Who said hold it out? Who's okay, okay. <laughs> That's okay. Good. I like to just illustrate the fact that nobody thought twice about that, do you? He didn't say, grab the book. He didn't, sp that's, he was silent about, stand no, I wasn't silent about it. I was unspecified. I asked for a song. He could have, he could have thrown it at me, I suppose. Uh, any number of ways to get it to me. But we understand that it's within the, the general range of, the, of the, what was asked for. And um, it doesn't always have to be specified. So that, that's a misunderstanding I think some people have. Uh, occasionally you'll hear, you'll hear somebody say, well, uh, God is silent about, uh, you know, meeting places or church buildings or something. Uh, no, he's not. He's just unspecified about that. He wants us to meet. Clearly, he wants us to meet. And we know that to meet, we have to have a place to meet. And, uh, you know, so, so we got choices that we're going to have to make about that because God was not specific about that. He's general and, and that gives us options. And that's just the way communication works. It works in your daily life. It works with your kids. It works with your boss. That's what happens in communication. So all I'm saying about this is that it's going to be the same way when it comes to uh, God and His communication to us. 
So we have to distinguish between what's specified on the one hand and what is uh, truly silent uh, on the other hand. Um, and there's a principle, I think, that is found uh, with, throughout Scripture. But, but I want to just make this point uh, about logic here. There, there is a fallacy in logic uh, called the appeal to ignorance. And um, th th I'm going to read from uh, Peter Kreft in his book, Socratic Logic. He says, The appeal to ignorance consists in arguing that an idea must be true because we do not know that it is not. It is a fallacy because ignorance can never be a premise or a reason. Premises must express knowledge claims. Nothing logically flows from nothing. If we're using the silence of God to promote something, then really what we're using is nothing to promote knowledge claims. That's the appeal to ignorance. We don't know that it's wrong, therefore it must be okay. Well, is that really the way God wants us to proceed? Because my next question is, what if God has indicated what He thinks about His own silence? If He's indicated something about that, then He's not even silent about His own silence. Now, see, I could, I could say that to my kids. I could say, you know, okay, I'm going to send you to the store, and every time I send you to the store, I'm going to give you some money, and I always want you to bring me back the change. Don't buy anything but what I tell you to get. And now I have, I, you know, even though the next time I give him money and I say, go buy some bread, uh, I have not been silent about my own silence. He knows the process means he needs to bring back the change and not buy a bunch of candy bars. Uh, that's just the way it's going to work. But I want you to notice this principle really throughout Scripture. And, and we're just going to reference these uh, real quick here. In the law you find this, Deuteronomy 12 and verse 32, Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to nor take away from it. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29, The secret things belong to, to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. In the wisdom, in the, well, the history literature in Joshua chapter 1, and I won't read all of this in verses 1 through 9, uh, but I would have you note the, uh, the point made uh, that, uh, you know, when, when he says, do not turn from the right hand or to the left, uh, that you may do all this law. Be careful to do according to this law. Don't turn to the right or to the left. So it's the same principle at work. You stay within the boundaries of what I have revealed. Or the wisdom literature, Proverbs uh, chapter 30 and verse uh, 6, do not add to his words or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. In the prophets you have Isaiah's point in Isaiah chapter uh, 8, 19 and 20, when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Uh, you have Jesus in the Gospels, John 8, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But that idea of abiding in the word, remaining in the word of God. Uh, the epistles, of course, stress uh, this point. Uh, as well. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, These things, brethren, I figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. Uh, 
1 Timothy chapter 6 and uh, verses 3 and 4, 20 and 21 speak about that idea of teaching sound words and uh, again not, not turning away from that. Uh, Revelation 22, 18 and 19. Uh, everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in the book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life. Uh, here, here's the thing I want you to think about here is, is that, you know, every one of these passages, of course, has a context. And I realize someone might say, well, uh, but, but that's talking about the law. Or that's talking about, uh, you know, a specific application in Revelation, in the book of Revelation. Or in 2 John 9, you know, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, does not. that's talking about uh, Jesus Himself, you know, they might say, or whatever. And so there's a context for each one of these. And I'm saying, I, you know, yeah, and, and study the context of each one of those, but, but here's what I want you to see. It's in the law, it's in the books of history, it's in the wisdom literature, it's in the prophets, it's in the gospels, it's in the epistles, it's in Revelation. It's found in every portion of Scripture, that same principle. And after a while, we might start to get the idea that this is important to God, that the trajectory of Scripture shows God saying, don't trespass into my realm of silence. That's the principle. That he shows. So God has given some indication uh, what He wants here, and uh, presumption is to be avoided. That's that's the one thing we really cannot afford to do. So if if we distinguish between what God is truly silent about, as opposed to what is just simply unspecified, that's a critical distinction to make. And because uh, there may be some areas that you think maybe God is silent, maybe He's not silent about it. Maybe He's just unspecified. And so you have to study that and look at that and carefully make uh, those decisions and draw those conclusions. Uh, but uh, rather than worry about what God didn't say, uh, be concerned with what He does say and show and uh, what He's indicated in His revealed will. But as you know, God's will for you is salvation. And so uh, never do anything that's going to jeopardize that. So we'll stop uh, for just a few moments and come back to this momentarily. Thank you.